Couch Talk. Hello and uh, welcome to Couch Talk. Today's guest is the founder of Testmatch Sofa, Mr. Daniel Norcross. Welcome to the show for the second time, Daniel. Oh, so much. It's a delight to be on again. It's a, I never tire of talking to you. Oh, me neither. Um, how are things with you? Things are good. Things are good. We're, um, we're ramping up for the, uh, the tiny, pointless two-match series against Sri Lanka. I'm a little bit aggrieved that it's not three matches, but then again, they start at 5.15 in the morning for me, so I should probably be careful what I wish for. <laughs> the last time I met you uh, was July, August of uh, 2011, and uh, you were talking about, at the time, uh, about raising sufficient funds for SOFA, so that it continues to function as a, in a self-sustainable way, and uh, you wanted to make it, and I quote, uh, professional outfit. And a few months down the line, now you have had this tie-in with the Cricketer magazine. How did uh, things progress from then, you know, in July, to where you are now? Well, um, how did they progress? It's it, one of those things, and I think we've talked about it, ourselves you know off off the record that um when you're doing ventures similar to the ones that we're both doing uh, the key to staying sustainable is, is just staying alive a lot of the time um so our focus was on staying keep, keeping on going because the the actual business model was always very precarious for us really to to break to create enough money to keep going we needed our listeners to pay for us to do that and whilst I think the internet is going to move in that direction over the course of the next three or four years with people paying for unique content, I don't think at the moment that, you know, the people out there are quite ready for that. They're taking stuff for free and who can blame them? Mm-hmm. So um, what we did was stay alive thanks to the incredible generosity of some of our listeners, about sort of 10 to 15% of them who were dipping into their pockets and keeping us going. Um, and that, I guess, kind of kept us prominent, kept people aware of what we were doing. And, um, you know, I mean, I guess we'll go into this in greater depth, but the, in the cricket world, there aren't very many players. The, the players that there are are either enormous, like ESPN and Sky and the BBC, or they're kind of a fair bit smaller, you know. And um, the cricketer, a marvellous, venerable organisation, and one that I'm very, very happy to be uh, working with, is, isn't of the same order of magnitude as Sky or ESPN, you know. Um, but there isn't somewhere kind of in the middle like there are in so many other industries. And by kind of November, by the end of the season, the English summer season, and then we were doing um, we did another couple of series, uh, we were approached by a couple of different organisations, which the, the cricketer was one. I mean, the cricketer approached us in, in January. We'd been approached before that um, in November, And um, I suddenly started to see that the way to keep this going uh, was with that kind of, you know, close support from an interested cricket-knowing stakeholder. Because, you know, ultimately, if you're not going to get paid by the listeners to listen to content and know more, you've got to sell advertising and sponsorship. I mean, every website is aware of that that business conundrum. But um, the reality of it is that you cannot support yourself. I mean, you cannot do 150 days of commentary a year without getting paid because, you know, you've got to get a, got to pay a mortgage. <laughs> you've got to have a job. Yeah. Um, and especially something like Test Mat Sofa, 
you can do it with six people, but either it's got to be the same six people every day, in which case you've got the same problems, you've got to be able to pay six people, or you've got to have numerous people, which is what the, the model we've really gone for. Um, but within that, in order to maintain a consistency of voice, you want to have certain key commentators. So, yeah, we, we, I was on the lookout for an investor. Um, I thought I'd found one, and um, and indeed I had, and then another one came along, the cricketer, and I had to look at the two offers on the table, and um, uh, the fact was that the, the cricketer's offer was, was stronger in many, many respects, uh, in, in nearly all respects. And they... they they comforted me that, um, that that they were deadly serious about the future of the sofa, and that's what I needed. I needed commitment because you know you can't when you reach this point in a business, you you can't afford to be going in with somebody who's just taking a punt. You know you've got to be able to see the whites of their eyes, understand their business strategy, see that they've got a plan, and um, and they do have a plan. So yeah, it's. I mean, I'm really excited, really delighted. The the benefit uh, for Tesma Sofa, it's in plain terms, it's quite obvious. Um, but what is the cricketer? What is, what do they stand to gain by buying you out? Well, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, wouldn't be giving too much away to say that magazine publishing um, faces a lot of challenges at the moment, and those challenges come from the internet. They come from a variety of different ways in which information is packaged. Um, you know, people are starting to want more than just an article written on hard copy. Uh, magazines struggle in, in the sense of having dynamic news because, you know, if you produce a monthly, mm-hmm. then for four weeks you, you've got a website, yep, which you can update, but your magazine itself is, is not updating, is it? You know, you've got to wait for the next edition in four weeks' time. Now, they're, they're beefing up the internet, their internet presence and putting more content on it. And they need content that differentiates it from other um, cricket websites' content. And I like to think that Test Match Sofa certainly does that. I mean, we our content certainly differentiates us from <laughs> from, from other websites. I mean, whether whether you like that or not is is another matter. And, and in that sense, there is a, a gamble that the cricketer are taking. Except they're taking a gamble on on the popularity of the sofa. Um, it's not just the ball by ball commentary that we're producing for for the cricketer. You know, we'll be doing podcasts, um, uh, more of which will be announced over the course of the year. And, you know, that, that that helps massively to drive users to the cricketer and to bolster their brand and to, and to reach a younger audience. Because, again, you know, I, I don't want to speak totally for the cricketer, but they're a 91-year-old magazine mm-hmm. that has been producing a type of content for a, a long while. Um, I think they're aware that cricket's audience... You know, Crick's audience is always getting younger, isn't it? You know, everybody's audience is always getting younger for, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and young people today aren't necessarily, I'm not saying they won't, they don't buy magazines, but it's, it's not necessarily the first port of call for information because they're after dynamic, immediate content. They're getting it from their iPhones, they're getting it from the web. And, um, you know, to be able to create more of that content is crucial for the cricketer. Uh, as it is really for, for any um, magazine or, or any hard copy publication. I think it's a fairly obvious synergy, really, between us and the cricketer. There, is, there are obvious uh, questions uh, and, say, concerns from uh, listeners of the sofa. Uh, how do you expect the content, the tone and the style uh, of the sofa 
to change or be more refined um do you anticipate it at all and if you do in what sense sure. would that be well yeah i mean i i do expect it to change i expect it to change for the better you'd expect me to say that um but i but i really do expect it to change for the better because um yeah i, I it's no secret all of our listeners would have known because they they've lived the production of the sofa um with us while we were doing it but without money and without the certainty of where you're going to be um the personnel that you have on um it's not that you want to change the personnel it's that you want to regularize the person and regularize the voice you want to make sure that you can produce a consistently good program you know in the in the two and a half years we've done the sofa it's undeniable that there have been days when we've been really good and days when we've not been really good and part of that is a function of it being a voluntary organization um if it's a voluntary organization with the best will in the world people will prioritize the walking of their dog or the picking up of their child from school or any number of other things you know that get in the way of life which makes the organization of a live radio program pretty difficult you know you don't see actors having to deal with that you don't see anybody who's do, who's who's making good consistent regular programming having to deal with that mm-hmm. now, what I, i i know that in your question there are there are other implications and i'll come on to them in a minute but but first and foremost the most important aspect of this move for us is that we have a certainty of our location we know where we're going to be we know that we've got the technical infrastructure to be able to create a consistent noise um the challenge for internet radio stations that are doing live content is to ensure that nobody cannot get hold of you you know on the move obviously there are some people who don't have smartphones and, and are just wandering around the tube or have you but do you know what i mean i mean basically mm-hmm. you want to cover every single base because you want to maximize the universe of people that can hear you so from a purely technical viewpoint and from a um from from ensuring that the that I've got the people that I want on the program to do it I've got a lot lot more certainty that I can achieve that now now implicit in your question and it's entirely understandable and I've seen these concerns from many of our listeners are um issues of the tone of the program are we just going to become a sort of um pale imitation of other audio ball bible commentaries that exist out there because we may feel we have to be more professional in inverted commas and that being professional means taking the edge off the commentary that you're doing well i understand the concern but people who raise that concern don't understand why the cricketer has bought tasmat sofa um what they're after is that differentiated content it's got to be different it's got to and you know they they've gone for it because of the tone that we adopt i mean it could very well be the case and in trying to reach a larger audience we'll try to be a bit more disciplined with the amount of expletives that we use <laughs> and, but i you know i think that's probably for the better because the number of times i've heard people who who said you know i really love tasmat sofa but i've got two kids and i can't put it on in the house because you know someone's effing and blinding at some point i mean it doesn't you know the amount of swearing on the program has gone down quite considerably anyway before we were bought by the cricketer but just generally speaking you you don't want to alienate the listeners that you know enjoy the tone because the tone of a program is not determined by suddenly you know exploding with an expletive it doesn't make the program funny for that 
What you do need to do is, is ensure that there is a degree of jeopardy that it may slip out in a way that it can never slip out on the BBC. <laughs> you know, if it happens on the BBC, then the thing is shut down. Whereas well, that won't happen with Test Match Sofa. Um, people will occasionally become so passionate that they won't be able to resist blurting out an expletive. Um, and, you know, we, they won't be sacked and we, we won't be pilloried uh, because we're not taking taxpayers' money um, to, to run the programme. You know, we're not run by a licence fee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't have those pressures on us. Uh, but I think it's for the betterment of the programme generally that we uh, try to appeal to as many people as possible. And I want 11, 12, 13, 14-year-olds to be listening to us because I passionately believe that um, there is a place for entertainment within commentary. I mean, I, I firmly believe there's a very, very strong place for straight cricket commentary as well. Mm. But what we're trying to achieve is something different from that. And I want people to be aware that you, you, know, you can tune into a commentary that gives you all the elements that you, you need, um, but at the same time, doing it in an entertaining way. Actually, entertainment is your focus. You know, amusing and engaging your listeners is the focus. And uh, in, engaging them to the extent that they become part of the programme. And that's, that's not going to go away. I mean, that's, that's the essential core of the programme. The jingles aren't going to go away. We just might not use the ones in which somebody's shouting, F off, you know. <laughs> it's, we, we, that, 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 that jingle will probably go. And I dare say some people will be disappointed that that's gone. But they've got to take that sacrifice in order to reach out to the wider audience because we want to bring on a new generation of people who love cricket and want to hear cricket produced in a different way. You mentioned, within quotes, professional. What happens to your current cast of uh, amateurs that have been coming in and going out? Is there still space for those? Uh, oh, yeah. And oh, are you going to be bringing in any paid professionals? And the, the answer is yes and yes. What I've been given is, is a, a budget to be able to secure the programme, and, and as I said earlier, the regularity of the voice of that programme, the consistency of it, the professionalism of that voice. Um, so that when you're tuning into Test Match Sofa, you know that you're going to get a good programme. That's the, that's the plan every day, not just some days, but every day. But at the same time, I do not have a limitless budget. And if you think that we're doing 150 days broadcasting, right, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I will have probably eight people working on the show every day, so that's, what, 1,200 man days? Mm-hmm. Now, if I was paying everybody a proper rate, and that was, say, £100 a day, then whew, that would be a budget of £150,000 just on personnel alone. Well, you know, without giving too many business secrets away, I can tell you that my budget is nothing like that. So um, I, I'm still going to rely on amateurs and volunteers that they're still an essential part of the programme. Um, so that, that's not going to go away. What, what it does give me the opportunity to do is to pay some of the people that have other work so that I can say, look, I'm giving you some money to do this. Do you want to do that other bit of piecemeal work or do you want to sit on the sofa with us? Knowing full well that obviously they'd rather sit on the sofa and watch cricket than they would go and do their other job for that day. <laughs> um, who wouldn't, you know? I mean, if they've been doing it for nothing for the last two and a half years, then you know, they're going to do it for a little bit of money. Um, secondly, I want to be able to, you know, there, there are people out there like, like you know, Ian O'Brien being a great example. Now, Ian needs to get paid to do the work that he does. I, I can't keep on asking him to 
come down to London to be on the sofa and not give him some money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I need to have a little bit of budget for that. Um, I might want guests on the programme who are of a high profile that could be comics or they could be ex-cricketers. Um, you know, this isn't, this isn't an ex-cricketer show, but in 150 days of broadcasting, mm-hmm. you, you occasionally you want some ex-cricketers on. You know, you want a bit of insight. Um, and you similarly want comics who have got agents who won't let them on the programme unless you're tossing them 150 quid or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, not, it's not a lot of money, but it's, it's the sort of thing that means that it, it makes our show zing. Because if our listeners are honest, they love it when Mark Steele's on, you know? They love it when Andy Zaltzman's on. They love it when these guys who've given up their time for nothing come on. So in answer to your question, yes, the team will remain very, very similar, um, and if, if not identical to, the, to what it's been now, mm-hmm. with, with the likelihood that some of the more fringe commentators are going to be on it just slightly less often than before because I've got the wherewithal to keep my more regular commentators on more regularly. Mm-hmm. So that's, just, that's just a function of man hours and time. But the point of Test Match Sofa is the voice of the amateur. It is the voice of the fan. And if you took them out of it and just turned it into a series of, of professionals, then I'd be doing no more than producing, you know, a kind of not very good version of Test Match Special, which is not the intention at all. <laughs> Question uh, from Benny, uh, Josh, and the wonderful Ann Sims. Uh, oh. Pretty much uh, they all talk about the same thing. Uh, does this tie-up mean that you will cover uh, non-England games or uh, you'll still continue doing the pick-and-choose method? These things are a process, Sebash. We've just started, let's be frank. You know, we mm-hmm. signed the deal in the middle of February. And um, what we've got to do first is sort out our infrastructure. We've got to get everything tight and sorted. We've got to find a, get ourselves into our new studios make sure that the technical infrastructure works. And we don't have limited manpower and resource, so unlimited. <laughs> we do have very limited manpower and resource. So um, the f- first things first, uh, we're going to um, ensure and guarantee that we're going to be able to do all of England's games. We're going to do the ICC T20. Um, we'll be doing India against England in October. And frankly, between now and then, that's what most of the cricket is. Um, until you get into the, the winter plan is to ramp up the degree of programming uh, and the quantity of it um, so that we are going to be commentating more games. Now, you won't really see the benefit of that um, in the next nine to 12 months, I wouldn't think. But it's uh, my sincere expectation and hope that we will be doing an awful lot more cricket um, as the as as year two and year three progresses, and assuming... and this would be non England matches as well. Mm, absolutely, I mean the sofa's done plenty of non England matches before, and would like to do them again. We, we did the India New Zealand series, India Australia series. Um, uh, were they both in 2010? I think they were both in 2010. Yeah, uh, you know, ad, ad, what's not to love about those? It's there's there's nothing actually more relaxing for an England fan than watching India and Australia go head to head. You know, th- of course we want to do those because we want to get as, as big a profile and as wide a listenership as possible. And it's no secret that there's an enormous population in India of committed cricket fans. And we want to, we want to get to them and we want to appeal to them as much as possible. So, you know, of course, we want to do more games. I want to do more games that are based in South Africa. We did the South Africa-Australia series. 
um, partly for selfish reasons, because they start at 8 o'clock in the morning um, British time, which is a lovely time to be commentating. Uh, but also because, you know, they're a big team and it's big cricket. And, you want, of course, you want to be doing that. You can only really do that. I, I was finding it very difficult to get teams together to do Test Mount Sofa for non-England games when I had no money. Um, with a bit of backing, with a bit of money, and with, with hopefully support uh, in the future from sponsors, um, we'll, be able to, we'll, we'll be able to cover a lot more cricket. And hopefully, with even more bit of luck, we might be able to cover a lot more cricket from the countries that, were, that, are, that are hosting the games rather than us doing the red-eye shifts at four in the morning, you know? <laughs> Richard Hagen, uh, he has a uh, few questions. One of them uh, being that, you know, the essential charm of SOFA is that it's a group of fans sitting together, uh, having a beer, uh, having a good time, watching cricket, talking about it. Uh, would that charm somehow be diminished by this tie-up? Well, um, no is, is, is my expectation and hope. I mean, the, the, as I said earlier, the, the point of the tie-in is not to change the, the tone and the style of the programme. It's to ensure its regularity and consistency and that it's always there. Um, to be honest... I mean, I'm not going to get grumpy about it, but we've been providing a service for people. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of people, I mean, over the course of two and a half years, well over 200,000 unique listeners have tuned into Test Match Sofa. And very few of them have paid for it. You know, uh, in reality, about 2,000 of them have probably paid at some point for it. Now, that, that's not um, a sustainable model. It's, a, it's as simple as that. And you, you, it's not really sustainable to, for the listener either to expect the degree of sacrifice. I mean, I don't want to go too long on the sacrifice aspect because it's great fun watching cricket. Mm-hmm. But you can't do it if you haven't got any income, you know, and, unless you're obscenely or, or, or not so obscenely, but just happily rich. And we're not, you know. Um, fans don't tend to be that rich. They, they tend to be, uh, they tend to love their cricket. Now, the, I'm, I'm expecting us to produce exactly the same kind of programs with exactly the same kind of fans, exactly the same kind of tone, albeit with, as I said earlier, maybe slightly less wearing on it, but otherwise it's basically the same thing. It's still jingles, it's still, you know, taking the mickey out of the players, it's still enjoying the game for what it is, it's still passion. You know, why does that go away simply because we can now do it all the time and actually think about it? <laughs> my, my commentators before had to, had to fit it in with everything else. But now, you know, who knows? They might even be able to do just a little bit of research. The bear might <laughs> check out what's been written on Crick Info and come in a bit more informed. You know, that can only be for the better, can't it? <laughs> he wonders and worries there is going to be a suit somewhere who's going to come in and tell you who should or should not be on air. So is that his worry a genuine? Um, how do you put him at ease? Yeah. Now, immediately there's an assumption implied within the question that what the cricketer's way is and what Test Match Sofa's way is are at odds. And I wouldn't have got into bed with a cricketer if we hadn't looked at each other long and hard and said, you know, this is what we do. This is what you're buying into. This is what I intend to keep doing. Is that your intention as well? To which their response is yes. You know, 
What I think it will do is um, very positively make commentators aware that they have a responsibility to the programme, which is much greater than they had before. You know, with the best will in the world, if, if you've run cricket teams, right? Mm-hmm. When cricket teams are entirely amateur, um, on a Saturday morning, they can actually decide that they don't feel like playing and give you some nonsense about how they've got their hands stuck in a door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't make it. I've hurt my hand. And then miraculously, the next week, there's not a scratch on them, you know? Um, when there's a bit of money behind it, people just have a little bit more responsibility and care to the programme that they're giving. Now, yeah, there are suits, if you want to call them that, at the cricketer, and they want the output of the programme to be consistently good so they can sell against it. But that is actually no different um, a motivation from the one that I've had on Test Match Sofa ever since I started it. It's just been very, very difficult to manage that process consistently without being able to guarantee the personnel who are on, you know? Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's obviously a concern. It, it, people have raised it with me many times, and I totally understand that. Uh, and it's my challenge while producing and managing the programme um, to make sure that suits don't arrive and say, well, I didn't like that, that was rubbish, because, you know, it shouldn't be rubbish in the first place. That, that's, that, that, that's how you deal with it, Subash, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have to make sure the programme's consistent and good. Um, and, and the commentators are now more aware of that, perhaps, than they were before. Of course, there's a danger then that people might feel a bit more inhibited. Uh, but again, that's a challenge that I have to deal with, and I have to make sure that the atmosphere on the sofa is, is as relaxed as it ever was. And I'd like to think that since this deal went through, we've done a few games, and commentators are also aware that the deal was going through in January and February, and I, I heard no difference in tone uh, in the programme uh, in January and February during the England-Pakistan series. Uh, and I see no reason why it should change into the future. Shifting gears slightly, uh, you know, I'm assuming you've read Richard's uh, blog post on this. I have, yeah, I have. And, you know, can I just make a point here that, that I, I didn't get a chance to make on Twitter or because I just I didn't engage with it. Um, I'm actually flattered at Richard's concern because it shows how much he cares about Test Bank Sofa and that we've created something that the listeners are concerned about. And I'm not remotely defensive about what he wrote. I thought his, his concerns were kind of a, a blueprint for me to think about. You know, these are, these are issues that listeners are worried about and they are quite right to be uh, worried about because they are you know, it's a horrible phrase but, uh, or word, but they are stakeholders in the programme mm-hmm. more so than, than in, in any other commentary. And that's, that's deliberate. You know, we want our listeners to be a part of the programme and we want them to care about it. But sorry, I interrupted you. Your, your, your question. No, 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 no. That was the question. Um, your response to Richard's blog post? It's, it's, I think it's an entirely reasonable one. You know, and, and I think what I would say, though, is that um, what, what, he, what he doesn't quite latch on to is a point I was alluding to right at the beginning, which is that um, he, he sort of he paints the, uh, uh, the, the, the new arrangement between the cricketer and the test match sofa as a big established person buying out a, a small new one. But, uh, I mean, maybe the cricketer wouldn't thank me for saying this, but the cricketer is not an enormous cricket organisation. You know, enormous cricket organisations are Sky and ESPN and the BBC. Mm. You know, uh, the, the cricketer is a very, very worthy, venerable institution that's produced great, great content. But actually, if you look at this, this is 
uh, a not a particularly large player in the cricket media buying a not particularly large player test match sofa. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, we are a little bit like the cricketer. We've been established as a, a commentary service for two and a half years, which is longer than anyone else has been doing it. Um, there have been blogs like Jared's that predated Test Match Sofa just, but actually for consistency of voice, we are now an established internet presence. And there's actually quite a, an obvious synergy between these two organisations, the Cricket and Test Match Sofa, which is something I think that Richard didn't take into account in his blog. Mm-hmm. But, um, as I said earlier, it, the concerns that he has are concerns that, that flatter me and are, and are ones that I... I'm pleased he's raised because they're ones that we need to think about. We need to make sure that we're not alienating our listeners, that we're not changing our tone, that we're not becoming subsumed within the establishment. One thing, though, I think he did get entirely wrong, um, and and, uh, I I will face him down on this one, is the idea that by getting into bed with a cricketer, we reduce the amount of opportunities for amateurs Mm -hmm. uh, to come onto the sofa. That just simply isn't the case. I mean, what what it does is it makes you a little bit more selective about the, the ones you want to invite on. Mm-hmm. Because I know that I've got a certain regularity within my own team. You know, I know I'm going to get the Bear and Max and Hendo and Manny and me around for most days. So I'm going to be looking at the best bloggers and the best writers and wanting them on. But I would have wanted to be in that position anyway, you know. But it's still going to be a mouthpiece for people within the internet because our main focus is still the listener. It's still the interaction with those listeners and it's still finding the best and most creative people on the internet whose voices aren't heard. It does mean that I might get Andrew Miller on the program a bit more often because he'll be just around the corner. You know, who doesn't want to have people who are editing cricket magazines and are journalists? I've had Alan Tyers on, I've had Jonathan Liu, I have Patrick Kidd, I have professionals on all the time. So that kind of mix between the amateur and the professional there's no reason why that would change. And bear in mind one thing that, that is always forgotten in these concerns is that, yeah, the cricketer has bought Tasman Sofa, but it doesn't actually want to be spending more money than it needs to on creating the content. So if I can get, I mean, it sounds very exploitative, but if I can get free, highly intelligent people who operate on the Internet to come onto Tasman Sofa, then that's a bonus for me. It saves me money on paying for somebody else to come on. <laughs> Stephen Brinkley, he called the sofa, and I quote, mildly irreverent, faintly diverting, and nowhere near as funny as uh, it thinks it is. That's and, right. And when comparing with the uh, Tisman special, which has Jonathan Agnew, who is a mm. stakeholder in the cricketer, which can be construed as some sort of conflict of interest. So how does it all fit in? Well, firstly, let's let's tackle Stephen firstly. Okay. Um, I've, I've met Stephen a couple of times, and um, he's, he's a he's a venerable member of the uh, of, of the press pack. I don't know whether he's ever listened to us. I have to say, I mean, his article used words like presume, which um, most journalists tend to actually find out rather than presume. But, no, he's he's entitled to presume. I don't have a problem with that. I also would not expect, I mean, having had a conversation with him about shorthand and how horrified he was that the latest generation of, um, of journalists didn't use shorthand <laughs> and instead had uh, dictaphones, that perhaps 
internet-based radio commentary might not be for him, whoever's doing it, you know? And, and, and I would expect that, for heaven's sake. The, the purpose of the sofa is not to drag all the listeners away from Test Match Special to listen to Test Match Sofa, far from it. It's to provide a place for the sort of people who like the sort of things that we do to come and listen to what we do. A lot of the people who listen to us don't listen don't listen to us instead of Test Match Special. They listen to us independently of Test Match Special. So they're, they're different. It's a different audience completely. Yeah. Second question: uh, the Agus situation. I entirely understand Agus's problem, um, which may come as a surprise to you. Uh, he is he, he is on the board of the cricketer. He is also the lead commentator for the BBC, and it is difficult. You know, if you are fronting the BBC and yet the, an organisation that you're working for has bought another ball-by-ball commentary service, albeit one that actually doesn't compete with Test Match Special, but it's easy to see why people might argue that it would, it is awkward for him. And it is awkward also that the BBC does pay for rights for audio ball-by-ball commentary on the radio, and that money does go to the ECB, and then that money is distributed to clubs and counties and cricketers and there is an argument which um, I have to say I don't actually agree with, but I can entirely understand that if, um, if rival ball-by-ball services exist, that might reduce the value of the rights. Now, I'd be interested to know what the value of those rights are and what the imagined um, diminution would be as a result of the existence of Test Match Sofa, especially when a lot of our listeners, um, over 50% of them, are listening from places where they can't get Test Match Special. So we're not taking an audience from uh, Test Match Special. We're actually increasing an audience for uh, English cricket, an audience that otherwise would not exist because it doesn't have anything else to listen to. Um, And there are um, benefits to the ECB, I believe, in what we do in maintaining and infusing an audience that can't be reached, that keeps its excitement in cricket, that buys cricket products, and pays in in a way that's slightly more difficult to quantify because it's not a straight check being paid by the BBC to the ECB. But these people are also contributing to the health of cricket. But it's a nuanced and complex argument. So um, Agassiz's position is one that I have total respect for and it makes absolute sense to me why, why he would feel that way. Um, I, don't th- I think it's a bit of a storm in a teacup. I think it's a way of making a story when there isn't really a story. The, the <laughs> more interesting story is that an established brand is, uh, has, the, has, has the vision to realise that it can't stand still and needs to move into the 21st century, into the internet age, and support different types of content. Um, but I can see why someone like, like Stephen might want to write that article. I mean, it, I, I don't know if it was a coincidence that that article appeared on the very morning that he appeared on Test Match Special. You'd have, you'd have to ask him if that was a coincidence, but it, it strikes me as it, as, it, as, as it may not have been, or, or indeed it may have been. Um, Judge Dovell, uh, he observed this on uh, Crick Info, and I also, and uh, I think a lot of people have wondered this, you know, because, and, you know, the great Giles Clark uh, came out and said, uh, the pirate streams, uh, cricket streams, are one of, is the biggest threat to cricket. Yeah. BBC is forking out plenty of money for the radio commentary rights. Why, why wouldn't they just switch to having people sitting in front of a TV and making the commentary? What? Well, well, 
they're entirely entitled to try that. Um, I mean, I would argue that they have a huge advantage over us in that they have crowd noise, which is a great thing to have. Um, they have access to players, uh, which is a great thing to have, that they're producing an entirely different type of programme. And, and people, you know, the, the listeners who, who like Tasmat Special don't want Tasmat Special to be done by a bunch of people in a booth. <laughs> um, they want them there for a very good reason. Um, and uh, so I think it's actually a, a reductio ad absurdum, which is, which is absurd. But... Um, the, the point about internet, um, illegal internet streams is a valid one, I think. I mean, I, I think that the hyperbole of it being the biggest danger to cricket is uh, possibly, you know, I mean, we, we, we don't really need to go into that in great detail. I, I would have thought various match-fixing allegations and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, getting into bed with the wrong people commercially and, and bringing the game of cricket into disrepute are altogether more concerning for cricket as a whole. Mm-hmm. But... He does, Charles Clark, have a very good point about illegal streams because what we what we do and what an illegal stream does are two entirely different things. Without getting too boringly legalistic about it, <laughs> if you take Sky's feed and you stick it on your website, then and that is just a flagrant and outrageous, lazy stealing of someone's intellectual property, and it should be stamped down on. It's just it's just not right. Um, Whereas what, I mean, it sounds very pompous, doesn't it? But what we're doing is creating an entirely different piece of intellectual property. We are putting a load of people together, the, the like of which you would never normally hear, to create a wholly new programme um, and to involve and engage a load of listeners who contribute to that programme. So, you know, this is not an illegal stream. This is using something entirely legal. It's also... It, I'm afraid it's impossible to shut down because if you were to shut down what we did, you'd have to shut down ball by ball text commentaries mm-hmm. uh, that are on Info or on the Guardian. Um, it would be basically be a freedom of speech issue. So it's again, it, it's entirely, it's a kind of specious uh, piece of arguing from people who I think are just a little bit irritated that we've found a way of really enjoying ourselves and, and making a good program that they hadn't thought of doing themselves. I mean, does that sound mean? But because what, do you know what we could do if they even tried? We could just sit around in a room with a microphone around us and say, I've just received a text message from someone that said that, um, you know, Zahir Khan's come in over the wicket, he's bowled, and Kevin Peterson has driven that back at him, and he's been fielded off his own bowling and there's no run. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, 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 you can't stop that. You, can, you can't stop people reflecting their own lives on the internet. That's, that's kind of... That, that, that's what technology now allows people to do. So, personally, in 1977, when cricket was on the BBC full stop with no adverts, mm-hmm. that was what I was brought up in. And I, I guess Test Match Sofa is a reflection of my childhood expectations that cricket should be available to everybody because it's not, it's not a game that's owned by the ECB or the ICC. It's a game that we all played and we all have ownership of it. And... Um, putting it behind paywalls, uh, in some senses, damages it. But as I say, I understand that there is an economic argument for it, um, that, and, and there is a balance to be, to be struck between those two things. But the idea that Test Match Sofa might in any way be a serious danger to cricket, I find laughable and, and insane. Brilliant point. Uh, I guess we'll leave the conversation right there. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, Daniel. Uh, It was marvellous talking to you again. 
Sebastian, thank you ever so much for giving me an opportunity to to say all these things. And I, as always, been a magnificent pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. Cheers. Oh, he's hit that one down the ground. This could be six as well. It's a biggie. It's a huge six. Straight down the ground, almost into the dressing room. And that tells the story. What an innings this is. What are Eunice's being slaughtered? Couch Talk.